welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your Matthew Warren. We have you along with us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might, might have eternal life. That's John 3.16, quite possibly the best-known verse of the New Testament. And it is the first verse of today's gospel, and we're going to unpack just what it means for us in uh, just a moment. But uh, before we do, again, welcome to Nonsense Catholic. The confusion stops here. And later on in today's program, we're going to talk about the armor of God. What does that mean? And what does it mean to put on the armor of God? God, And what practical, concrete steps can you take to put on the armor of God in your life? Also, we're going to have uh, a Catholic kryptonite segment, wherein I will explain just exactly what it is that I mean by Catholic kryptonite uh, in the first place, and then address the topic of holy orders and, and give you the no-nonsense answer to the question, why do Catholics call their priests father, when Jesus said, call no man on earth your father? All that and more coming up uh, later on today's no-nonsense Catholic, but first, John 3.16. Millions of people, millions, millions of people who have never read the Bible know this verse from, uh, from the signs that people hold up at the ballgame. I think uh, every televised sporting event in my lifetime uh, has that moment where the camera pans the crowd, and there's always that one guy wearing a rainbow fright wig and holding up a sign that says John 3.16. And uh, his hope, I suppose, is that people will be curious enough to actually open a Bible and read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. It's kind of the gospel in a nutshell, and according to many Christians, both Protestant and Catholic, it is the greatest verse in the Holy Bible. And so let's take a look at that. It begins with the word God, who is, of course, the, the supreme being. He's the greatest being. So loved, which is the greatest act, the world, which is the greatest number of people, that he gave his only son, which is the greatest possible gift, so that everyone who believes, and that's the great condition, in him, the greatest object of faith, since Jesus is God, might not perish, which is the greatest mercy, but might attain eternal life, which is the greatest reward. So the greatest verse, God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to free us from the power of sin and death and to restore, restore the relationship between God and humanity that was broken by sin back in the Garden of Eden by our, our first parents. The name Jesus, which, uh, you, know, you know, in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which is the same as Joshua in the Old Testament. I think we make the distinction between Jesus and Yeshua or, jo or Joshua so that we, you know, know who we're talking about. But the name uh, means Savior, or literally Yahweh saves. And Jesus is our Savior and our Redeemer precisely because God so loved the world. In fact, St. John in uh, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because God first loved us. And in 1 John 4.8, he says, God is love. Now let's go back to in Luke chapter 10. We read that a teacher of the law is trying to trap Jesus. Teacher, he says, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus answered him, what do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You are right, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, love of a God and neighbor, then, is not a new teaching. The man was quoting scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, just as our Lord himself did when someone asked him, what is, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The, sec the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And our Lord says the whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So, so it's all about love. Love of God first and love of neighbor. And if we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, then it follows that we must first love ourselves. So if we love ourselves correct, correctly, then our first concern is the salvation of our soul. Jesus asks in Matthew 16, 26, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but suffers the loss of his own soul? And likewise with our neighbor. So when the teacher of the last Jesus, who's my neighbor? Our Lord answered with a parable of the Good Samaritan. And that parable reveals that everybody is your neighbor. Hence our Lord's words in Matthew 5, you have, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Then in, um, let's see, in Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus gives the golden rule. Treat, treat others the way you would have them treat you. Which is the complement to the verse in the book of Tobit that says, what we do not want done to us, we should not do to others. Jesus, Jesus turns that around, makes it the positive. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So, what have we learned from all of this? That when our good Lord, Lord, and when the scripture talks about love, it's not talking about, um, you know, emotional affection. You know, infatuation. It's not talking about mere sentiment. You know, we're... we're very blessed that our Lord didn't say, like your neighbor, because, you know, I, I don't have that kind of control over my affections. But he said, love your neighbor. And, and love is, is not mere sentiment. It's, it's not just a feeling. It's a doing. It's you, you do it or do it or you don't. The theological virtue of love is to will the good for another. And its first object is God. And, and your, love, your love for God manifests itself in, the act of, uh, in an act of the will by keeping his commandments. John 1, 5, 3 says, For the love of God is this, is this, that we keep his commandments. So love your neighbor, then, is also an act of the will, an act of the will that manifests itself in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Like Jesus said in Matthew 25, 39, whatever we do for others, we do for him. He makes salvation contingent on it. But then at the, last, at the Last Supper, he even ups the ante further with the new commandment of love. He says to the apostles, I give you a new commandment, love one another. How is that a new commandment? Well, just as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is a new commandment because Jesus just doesn't say to love, but to love the way he does. Love as I have loved you, you. And how is that? When Jesus says, as the Father loves me, so I also love you. 
no one can have greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus' love, it was more than just good wishes or good advice. As God made man, Jesus gave himself up to death for the love of his Father and for the love of us. He showed his love. He demonstrated his, his love by dying on the cross for us, for our sake, yours and mine. So obviously we should love him in return, and to love Christ is to love God. And then why then should we love all people, friends and enemies alike? Again, because God commands it. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's John 14, 15. Because it is our partic participation in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy that lets others know beyond doubt that we are his true followers. And also because Jesus died for everyone. The Bible doesn't tell us that everyone is going to be saved, far from it. But, but everyone has been redeemed. We have all of us, every man, woman, and child that's ever lived has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so how can you be unkind to someone that Christ loves that much? Somebody for whom he died on the cross. For God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. And that's no nonsense. Okay, off to a good start. We have a lot uh, also coming up in the program, including uh, next, uh, next up our discussion about the armor of God, what that is, and, uh, and how we apply it in our lives. But I also want to mention that uh, uh, this is a great honor for me to be able to do this new program. I'm glad to be on Wednesdays with you and being able to share the no-nonsense Catholic uh, view, view of things. And also to let you know that we, I have a new show coming up, and it is now scheduled to begin in May, and that program will be on Fridays and days in the old happy hour slot from noon to one Pacific time, and I will be welcoming to the program each week Father Chris Alar of the um, Marians of the Immaculate Conception. He is one of the Divine Mercy priests, and in fact, the name of the program is going to be Understanding Divine Mercy. And so Father, so Father is going to join us each week to talk about various facets of the mercy of God and how that relates in our lives. And uh, I think we'll be joined from time to time, uh, hopefully with from uh, from other some of his brother priests, like Father Calloway or Father Michael Gately, who also have a, a great stake in the promotion of the divine mercy. There, see, their their order is the one that has been entrusted with the diary of Saint Faustina and the promotion of the Divine Mercy Devotion. So tune in for that coming up in May. Uh, on May, I think, 15th is going to be our first broadcast. Also, um, when we come back, the armor of God. Is there actual physical armor that you can take up in your stand against sin and the evil one? Well, the answer to that when No Nonsense Catholic returns right after these messages. So, st so stay put, and we'll be back in just a few moments.
Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to the Terry and Jesse show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Daniel, what a testimony, and I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith, hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end, and God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of His Son. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. Quick shout out to the folks watching on YouTube. Uh, they tell me, the engineer just sent me an instant message because obviously I'm sheltering in place. I'm not at the studio today. Uh, and he tells me that I'm having a little max headroom action on the uh, the internet. So I apologize for that. And also I'm going to give a shout out. out um, they let me know that on the chat, somebody just used the um, the option that there's a little dollar sign in the in the chat and you can click on that and make a donation. And Zoila Grace Trace just made a donation to Virgin Most Powerful. I want to say thank you very much for that. And uh, on now with the program and our discussion of the armor of God. It's in, it's in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and following. St. Paul says, Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world-ruled rulers of this present darkness, with the wicked spirits in the high places. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to hold, to hold your ground. Well, Catholic Christians, that we are engaged in an ongoing battle against the traditional enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as St. Paul tells us, a spiritual battle requires spiritual armor. So he says, verse 14, so stand fast, fast, with your loins girded in truth, clothed with righteousness as a breastplate, and your feet shod in readiness for the gospel of peace. 
In all circumstances, horses hold faith as a shield to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God. Now, this biblical passage speaks directly to the vocation of every lay Catholic, and this spiritual suit of armor represents a whole compendium of the Catholic faith. Uh, To gird literally means to encompass or to encircle. So in biblical times, to gird your loins referred to, you know, preparing for for action by tying up your tunic with a belt and from which you could hang your sword and your armor. Uh, So we begin the spiritual battle by uh, girding ourselves, by surrounding, surrounding ourselves with the truth. As our Lord Jesus declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For this, for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. <clears throat> so I can tell you that as a dad, dad trying to get six little kids ready to go to mass for years and years, I would say, you guys ready to go? And he'd say, yeah, we're ready, dad. I say, you got your shoes on? No. I say, well, then you're not ready to go. You're not, you're not ready to go until you have your shoes on. <laughs> so, likewise, St. Paul is telling us our feet are to be shod with readiness. That's what it means to be ready. Readiness for the gospel. Uh, St. Peter talks about it in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 15. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you a reason for, for your hope. So once we're girt and shod, we are to take up our spiritual armor. The shield of faith, the, hel- the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the sword of the Spirit. And each one of these items in this metaphorical suit of armor can be understood as representing a crucial aspect, not just of the Catholic faith, but of Catholic catechesis. Putting on the armor of God is about knowing your faith. Uh, beginning, beginning with the shield, which of course represents faith, he says so. Uh, he tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have to know your faith uh, to keep your faith. And, and likewise, you have to know your faith before you can share your faith, certainly before you can defend your faith. And the chief truths of the faith are found in the Apostles' Creed, which is the starting point. It's like the first pillar of Catholic catechesis. So the shield is the, the creed. And then the breastplate plate represents righteousness. Again, uh, when you think about an actual suit of armor, what does a physical breastplate protect? Well, it protects your chest. It protects your, your heart. And righteousness comes from following the moral law which again, St. Paul tells us in Romans 2.15, is written on the heart. So our spiritual breastplate is the Ten Commandments and the theological and moral virtues. The helmet then represents salvation, and salvation comes to us by grace through the merits won by our Lord Jesus Christ on the Holy Cross. And how do we encounter his grace? Through the sacraments and through prayer. Prayer. And finally, St. Paul says we're to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, the Holy Bible. Uh, St. Paul describes the Holy Bible in, in the book of Hebrews as living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword. So this is a metaphor that he you know, applies elsewhere. And this is how we arm ourselves, having identified these principal parts of the armor as the pillars of catechesis, we can now turn our attention to the concrete, practical, physical resources that can help us effectively put on this spiritual armor. So Paul tells us that we need, you know, the salvation and righteousness and, and um, faith 
and the word of God of God as an armor against you know the the in the struggle with the evil one. And then we see well those those things represent the pillars of catechesis. It's the Apostles' Creed, Creed and the Ten Commandments, and and the sacraments and prayer. And then how do we put those on? Well, back to the shield of faith. Where do we learn our faith? From a catechism. And there's lots of choices. I mean, from the Roman catechism to the Baltimore catechism to the catechism of the Catholic Church. And if you're looking for a a, a concise, no-nonsense catechism, I would uh, encourage you to go to nononsensecatholic.com, where I have I have you can on the very front page you can click on library, and it'll take you to um, our Catholic faith, which is just a, like I say, a concise, no nonsense, no no frills catechism of Catholic belief and practice. And there's also a link there that will take you to the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is is I'm, I think it's a real blessing. It was promulgated by uh, Cardinal Ratzinger when he was Pope Benedict XVI. That this compendium it's it's done in question question answer format, like the traditional catechism. But it, uh, it covers all the stuff in the new Catechism of the Catholic Church. So that's a good resource if you're looking for you know, answers to questions. Uh, what else? Okay, so there's that. The shield of faith is a catechism. The helmet of salvation. Salvation comes through the sacraments, we said, and through, and through prayer. Uh, the Holy Eucharist, the most blessed sacrament, is the source and summit of the Christian life. Um, because in Holy Communion, we actually recently receive not mere spiritual grace, but the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ under the appearance of bread and wine. So the helmet of salvation is salvation is the sacraments, and that's the great uh, the sacrament in which we actually receive Jesus. Every Catholic should have a, a missal, a Sunday missal, a daily missal, with all the prayers and the readings of the Holy Mass, and also a good prayer book or a good breviary, right, the, the Liturgy of the Hours. The, the Mass and, and, the, and the Liturgy of the Hours are the official liturgy of the Church, and it's a daily encounter with both prayer and sacred scripture, and you can't do better than that. And there's lots of, lots of ways to encounter this, too. Um, there are various publications like the Magnificat and God's Word Today that give you the readings, uh, and, and Magnificat also gives you, I think, the, 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 the Psalms from the Liturgy of the Hours for the, that day. So that's a, that's a simple way. It's already all, you know, arranged for you. And, of course, all of this stuff is available on, online for free, whether it's the Catechism or the Compendium of the Catechism or the Baltimore Catechism or the Roman Catechism or, you know, the Holy Bible in various translations and the readings of the, of the Holy Mass. All of that is, uh, in fact, the Bible and, and the Mass is uh, available and the Catechism. Uh, you can go from usccb.org, right from the bishop's uh, official website. So no excuses on this. You know, if you can't afford one, you can simply go on the Internet. Okay, then the breastplate is righteousness. I said that righteousness comes through observing the Ten Commandments and exercising the theological and moral virtues. And these things are all, are all exemplified in the lives of holy men and women, the saints. So another uh, part of your library that would uh, uh, represent the armor of God would be the lives of the saints and various spiritual classics. Um, my favorite being the Imitation of Christ, but there's others: Introduction to the Devout, devout Life and uh, and uh, the um, Spiritual Exercises and so on. Soul of the Apostle, all these uh, wonderful things that are available for you, and many of those available available online as well. And finally, we come to the Sword of the Spirit. Now, clearly, no Catholic home is complete without a copy of the Holy Bible. 
And there are many, many, many translations to choose from. There's many translations in English that carry a Catholic imprimatur, all the way from the Douay Reims, which is the traditional English translation from, from the Latin Vulgate, uh, all the way up to the New American Bible, which is the official translation for English liturgy in the United States, and everything in between. From you know the Good News translation to the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. Everything from soup to nuts, all available for you in English. There's also a, a fine, fine website called Bible Gateway. And if you're looking to you know, just look up a specific verse, you can look it up. And, and it has just almost every conceivable English translation available for you to, uh, to look it up in. So the church has given us the armor of God. And, and it, the church has given us the armor of God so that we need not be anxious about this spiritual battle. The armor of God represents the ways by which, by which we encounter Jesus Christ and thereby come to know him and love him and serve him. This is the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ. This is the heart of the Catholic faith. And in the words of our, our Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI, those who encounter the risen Christ and entrust themselves docilely to him have nothing to fear. And that's the message that Christians are called to spread to the very ends of the earth. Words of our uh, Pope Emeritus, and that is no nonsense. Okay, so the armor of God, God and uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about holy orders and also an uh, example of Catholic kryptonite. And, and that's a little cryptic. That may not be something that uh, you've ever heard before, that term. I think my first time I ever heard it was back in, oh, probably 2000 or 2001 when I was producing Reasons for Faith with uh, Tim Staples. We brought uh, Jesse Romero on as the co-host, and we were talking about um, some objection to the faith, and he says, yeah, that's, that's just Catholic kryptonite. And it really stuck with me. And so, so what is it? What's Catholic kryptonite? Well, I think some of our separated brethren of the fundamentalist persuasion, for example, have entire ministries devoted to trying to get Catholics out of the church by convincing them, seeing them that Catholicism is unbiblical, which is, of course, grade A nonsense. But, you know, our fundamentalist friends really believe that there's biblical proof to refute the doctrines of the, of the Catholic faith. And their belief in this is fueled by, by their own formation and training and evangelization, but also from the fact that their arguments work. They're based on trans, you know, quotations from the Bible that seem at first glance to just flatly contradict some Catholic belief or teaching. It just looks like, looks like such a slam dunk. Why do you call your priest father when Jesus said, call no man on earth your father? That doesn't seem to admit of, of uh, a Catholic response, yet of course there is one. But nine out of ten Catholics would have no idea how to respond to that. Well, we're going to talk about holy orders in the upcoming segment. And we're going to talk specifically about how to respond to that particular example of Catholic kryptonite. Uh, but it's not just Bible Christians who wield Catholic kryptonite, but atheists, progressivists, anybody who tries to turn the Bible or the teaching of the church against you. And that's what we'll be talking about. When we come back, lots more no-nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Power Radio. Hi. 
Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need covenant eyes to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code VMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com code VMPR live porn free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, most Matthew Arnold, and we're going to be doing our Catholic Kryptonite segment in a little bit, why we call priest father. But first, a no-nonsense look at, at holy orders. Holy orders is a sacrament, and as we know, the sacraments are outward signs instituted by Christ to give grace. So holy orders is the sacrament by which the office of bishop, priest, or deacon together with its power and its grace, is conferred. The, out, the outward sign of the sacrament of holy orders is the laying on of hands and the accompanying uh, prayer by the bishop. So question number one, how do we know that Jesus, Jesus instituted the sacrament of holy orders? Well, first, of course, we have the constant tradition of the church. That's not always good enough for our separated brothers. So I will also tell you that scripture shows that Christ bestowed the powers and graces of the of holy orders on the apostles. For example, he gave them the, pow- the power to change bread and wine into his body and blood at the Last Supper. Uh, John 20, 22 tells us that after the resurrection, he, that is Jesus, breathed on them, meaning the apostles, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. So, those basic powers of the priesthood to 
um, change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, and to forgive sins given precisely to the apostles by our Lord himself. And then this power and grace is passed on from the apostles to their successors. You can see in Acts 14, 14, 23, it says, the appointed presbyters or priests for them in every church and with prayer and fasting commended them to the Lord in whom they had put their faith. So here's the first point of the no-nonsense look at holy orders, and that is that the church in the New Testament, the church that was founded by Jesus Christ, Christ as bishops and priests and deacons, uh, from the Greek word episkopos, that's where we get the word bishop, and also the word episcopal, episcopal, right? This is something that has to do with bishops is episcopal. That comes from episkopos. From diakonos, obviously, the word deacon. And then from presbyteros, presbyter or priest. Now, the very first English Bibles, um, the Catholic Douay Reims, and then later the Protestant King James Bible, both translated presbyteros as priest. Now, modern English Bibles, like the Catholic New American Bible or the RSV Catholic Edition, edition translated as presbyter. And I don't pretend to know why, but all I can tell you is that if you look up presbyter in the dictionary, you'll see that the defini definition is priest. And if you look up priest in the dictionary, it says from the Greek presbyteros. Point being, Scripture says that the church founded by Christ has bishop, bishops, priests, and deacons, priests or presbyters, and that's no nonsense. So some of our separated brethren will point out what is called the, the common priesthood of the baptized or the universal priesthood of the faithful or the believer. And this is a Catholic teaching also. Scripture calls Jesus the rock and, or the stone that was rejected by the builders that has become the cornerstone. Jesus changed Simon Barjona's name to Peter, which means rock. So Jesus the rock makes Peter the rock. Okay, and you can see that uh, that succession of priesthood. But then Peter, Peter Rock, tells the early Christians in his first epistle, and this is First uh, Peter, chapter two, verses five through nine. And now you you are living stones that are being used to build a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in it shall not be put to shame. Shame. Therefore, its value is for you who have faith. But for those without faith, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a, and a stone will make people stumble, a stumbling block, a rock that will make them fall. They stumble by disobeying the word, as is their destiny. But you who are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So here's the, uh, the very first pope, St. Peter himself, saying that all believers are a holy priesthood and a royal royal priesthood, and that we've you know, to announce the praises of, of him who called you out of darkness, the praises of Christ, and who would offer spiritual sacrifices. And when he said when he says that we're a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people of his own, he's quoting Exodus 19, transferring all of that from the chosen people to the believers in Christ. Now, it is true, of course, that all validly baptized Christians have a share in the priesthood of Christ. 
But the common priest priesthood and the ministerial priesthood differ from one another in essence and not just in degree. For example, in the Holy Mass, the priest says to the people, the Lord be with you, with you. And the people respond, and with your spirit. And that shows the difference between the ministerial and common priesthood. And both of those greetings come from sacred scripture. When St. Paul is writing to a community of Christians, he'll greet them with that um, greeting, the Lord be with you, with all of you. But when he's writing uh, to St. Timothy, for example, who was a young bishop, he said, the Lord be with your spirit, with thy spirit, singular. And what is this spirit in question? Well, it's the grace of holy orders. We can see in Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1, chapter 6, he says, I remind you to, to stir into flame the gift of God bestowed through the imposition of my hands. And that's a reference to Timothy's ordination. So, so what does this imposition of hands, this conferral of priestly ordination do? Obviously, because it's only given to those who are part of the ministerial priesthood. And primarily, it, what that bestows is these special powers of the priesthood. Uh, I recall once upon a time that a Catholic, Catholic priest and a Baptist minister were on a radio program together. And the Baptist minister suggested that being a priest and being a minister was practically the same thing. You know, he said, uh, it's really just a matter of terminology. And he turns to the priest and says, aren't we both the same, reverend? You know, he wouldn't call him father, you notice, which we're going to talk about in a minute. <laughs> uh, and clearly, of course, this is grade A nonsense. And thankfully, that priest uh, had an answer that was pure, no-nonsense Catholicism. Because he answered with his, own, with his own question. He said to the Baptist minister, what do you claim to do that an ordinary Christian does not have the power to do? And he said, no, nothing. I have no power above any other Christian, right? It's just that priesthood of, of the baptized, of all the faithful. And then the priest said, then there is a difference between us, between us. Because Catholic priests claim the power to change bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus and to take away sins. And if these claims are true, and, and if I'm claiming more than you, then there is enormous, an enormous difference between us. And that minister had to concede that he was right. There is an enormous distance, distance a difference between the common priesthood and the ministerial priesthood. And that brings us to today's example of Catholic kryptonite. And this is, this is really one of the classics. This is one of those slam dunk verses that um, fundamentalist Christians think will admit of no Catholic response. And nine out of 10 times they're right because Catholics have no idea what to say. They say, why do you call a priest father? When Jesus said in Matthew 20, 23, verse 9, call no man on earth your father, for one is in your father who is in heaven. And, you know, I, I don't know how many times in the last 20 years I've had Catholics ask me, does it really say that? Does it really say don't call it? See, they have no idea that it's in the Bible in the first place. And, uh, of course, our separated brethren, they're kind of taking this, taking this uh, out of its context. This is an objection based on the words of Jesus when he spoke about the scribes and Pharisees, he does say the words, but let's, let's look at the context. He said, he said, they love the places of honor at banquets and seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces and the salutation of rabbi, which means teacher. He says, as for you, do not be called rabbi, for you have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on your earth your father, for you have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master, for you have but one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself 
will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now that's the key. So did, the question is, did Jesus want to be taken literally when he said, call no, call no man on earth your father? Well, the church says no. And here's why. Because in this context, in, in, in the ancient Near East, father was a title, a title of human respect, as were teacher and master. And the scribes and Pharisees coveted those titles. So Jesus is teaching us that all, leg all legitimate authority comes from God. It's nothing to be, you know, it's not something to be proud of as though, it, as though it originates with you. So the apostles shouldn't be concerned with titles and salutations or, or popularity or being given places of honor. But does the use of the, the title Father really conflict with the words of Jesus in Matthew 23? You know, I can recall uh, a number of years ago, an evangelist from the Church of Christ hit me with this. You know, the Bible says, call no man on earth, on earth your father. Why do you call a priest father? And I responded by saying, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't think you take this passage literally yourself. What do you call your male parent? Right? You call him your father. What about the, the person who leads your Sunday school? You call her teacher. You know, I can, re I can remember uh, uh, the same priest I was talking about just now was once on a Pentecostal TV show. And right before airtime, the host said, I hope you don't mind, but I will be addressing you as doc doctor because I know that like me, you have an advanced degree. See, I'm sorry, but I can't call you father because Jesus said, call no man on earth your father. As, as if this priest has never read the Bible. <laughs> but father answered and said, if that's the case, then I'm sorry, but I cannot call you doctor. Because, because doctor is Latin for teacher. And Jesus also said, as for you, do not be called teacher. You see, that's no nonsense Catholicism. Needless to say, they introduced him as father. His father. But uh, the gal from the Church of Christ said, well, Jesus wasn't talking about dads. He wasn't talking about Sunday school teachers. He was talking about religious leaders. You mustn't, mustn't ever call a religious leader father. And so I asked if Abraham counts as a religious leader. Because in Luke 16, 24, Christ himself refer, refers to him as Father Abraham. Uh, likewise, he addressed Nicodemus as a teacher of Israel. And St. Stephen addresses the Jewish elders as fa fathers. And to go one better, St. Paul refers to himself as father. Even if you have countless instructors, that is, teachers in Christ, you have not many fathers. For I, for I became your father in Christ Jesus. Catholics take that passage in context, follow the biblical example, and that's no nonsense. All right, back with more right after this. Hands on Apologetics, you have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo, where we go wall to wall with defending, explaining, sharing the faith. Master Apologist, Carlo Broussard. Carlo, welcome to Hands on Apologetics. Hey, Gary, it's great to be back in the dojo, my friend. Master Apologist, Ken Hensley, welcome to Hands on Apologetics. Good to see you again, Gary. Good to be with you. Michael Barber, welcome. You have entered into the Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. Gary, thanks for having me on. We are chatting with Master Apologist Carl Keating. Gary, it's great to be back with you. Coming into the dojo is our good friend Steve Ray. Thank you, Gary. Good to be here. Tim Staples, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Hey, it's great to be with you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Join many others in Gary Machuda's Apologetics Dojo. We have some of the best Catholic apologists in the nation. 
Streaming live weekdays from 10 to 11 a.m. Pacific. Hands-on apologetics on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Finding the right doctor for your obstetric and gynecological needs can be difficult. Do you want a doctor with impeccable references and ethical practices? One who is trustworthy and well-researched? Dr. Aceta is that doctor. As a faithful Catholic in the Kern County community, Dr. Aceta provides expert care guided by his Catholic teachings, focusing on the patient's needs according to his own specialty. Call Dr. Aceta for all your obstetrics and gynecological needs at 661-595-5617. Again, 661-595-5617 for quality care without compromise. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Matthew Arnold, here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Glad to have you along with us this week. And I hope you enjoyed our Catholic Kryptonite segment on Call No Man Your Father. Um, I think this is really important. This is going to be a recurring feature, Catholic Kryptonite, here on No Nonsense Catholic, because it's important for Catholics to to know that um, there are answers to these objections. I mean, even if you don't, I don't expect you to be able to memorize the whole thing. Maybe you're not going to be able to be able to call to mind all the Bible verses if somebody challenges you with this. But you're going to know that there is an answer. I think that's the important thing. More important than, you know, trying trying to refute some, you know, door-to-door evangelizer there on the front porch is that you know for a fact that there are answers to these questions. Because there's a lot of Catholic, Catholic kryptonite uh, going on around there. And you can see uh, the difference. You know, somebody might say, well, why why do you Catholics think you belong to the true church when, when Protestants believe that they're – that the true church is just an invisible unity of all Christians. You know, that's, I mean, that, that's a legitimate question. It's a question that not every Catholic might be, able, might be able to answer. But it's not Catholic kryptonite. Catholic kryptonite is, you know, the Catholic church isn't in the Bible. Show me where it says Catholic church in the Bible. That's Catholic, that's Catholic kryptonite. Uh, those, those kind of objections that, that don't admit of, of an easy response. Of course, it's, it's always easier to tear stuff down than it is to build, to build stuff up. It's important to be able to have um, concise answers to these questions so that you can help other people. I mean, because that is something we're called to do. Do St. Peter says, always be ready to, to, you know, give an explanation for the hope that you have in you. Okay, it's important to know that the Catholic Church is in the Bible, and we're going to cover these kind of questions as we uh, go forward. Where is that in the Bible? That's a good one. Of course, on the other side, we have um, uh, atheists. For example, who would say, how can you believe in God when God allows all this suffering? How, why, did, why did your good God make all this evil? You know, you know are, are you going to be able to answer that question, especially in a time like this with the coronavirus? 
you know, atheists are, are making that precise argument. There's no God because he would not allow something terrible like, terrible like this to happen. Um, so there, there's a lot of um, Catholic kryptonite out there and something that we need to be aware of. And so, uh, and again, something that can, can oftentimes be very easily refuted. And so, uh, uh, you know, and, and refuted in, in a way that is its own, um, not just a defense, but also uh, is offensive. I think it's also important not merely to answer <clears throat> objections, but to ask, que ask questions of your own. Because <clears throat> a lot of times people uh, have just never thought about these things. And so it's good for you to be able to plant seeds. Okay, so that's Catholic kryptonite. Also, we actually started um, this program with a, uh, a feature that is going to be a recurring feature. Not every time, but uh, we'll do it from time to time with time, which I kind of call get a word out. And, and that is just a biblical exegesis, you know. Um, I've often talked about this at conferences and at, at events at parishes and whatnot, where Holy Mass is included in the schedule. And you start the day with Mass, or people oftentimes just go to Mass before they go to the conference. And, and you know, I give a talk in the middle of the day, and I would ask, okay, who here was able to attend Mass today? And then, you know, a bunch of hands go up. And then, and then I would ask them, okay, who can tell me what was the, the, res the response in today's responsorial psalm? And it's great because people, you know, there's like crickets, people looking at each other. Okay, well, who can tell me what the epistle was about? Who can tell me what was today's gospel reading? And I almost never get a response. And it's, and it's fascinating to me. You know, Matthew Kelly used to say, to say or probably still does, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it in the past tense. Uh, Matthew Kelly says, you should bring a journal to Mass with you. He says you should be on the lookout for, for that one thing that stands out to you at every Mass and write it down. Not, not 16 different things, but one thing that stands out and, 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 and put it in your journal, whether it's from the Old Testament or the Epistle, the Gospel, the Psalms, the hymns, the Father's homily, whatever. Whatever stands out, you write that thing down, and at the end of the year, you're going to have this nice, this nice resource of personal insights. And, well, let's face it, though, I mean— 99% of people or more are never going to do that. But I know a, a priest who, who always taught that the readings, he said the, the readings are too much. It's too much to remember. And I, and again, I've, I've proven that to myself anecdotally time and time again. And so he said when, when he does a homily, he would always just preach on maybe one verse or even sometimes just one word. And he called that getting a word out. And it's, you know, actually it's kind of consistent with the old sermon program in the Catechism of the Catechism of the Council of Trent, the old Roman Catechism. Every Sunday would have a doctrinal subject and a moral subject with a verse for each. And priests were encouraged to use one or both of these uh, topics and uh, verses for their Sunday sermons. And in that way, every year or two, um, they would have essentially given a complete, complete uh, uh, overview of the faith. And, you know, the, the both the, the doctrinal subjects and, and the Catholic morality. And, you know, and then you do it over again, over again, and over and over and over again, year after year after year, because repetition is the mother of learning, which I think is one of the reasons why uh, Catholics in the old days sometimes knew their faith better than modern Catholics do, even though back then the Mass was in Latin, and they didn't have the internet and, and all the stuff that we have. And also my own experience on happy hour, <laughs> I was trying trying on, on Fridays to do this full-blown exegesis of the Sunday scripture for the upcoming Extraordinary Form Mass. And I would wind up, you know, I mean, I'm talking about the Epistle and the Gospel, or maybe just the Epistle, Epistle, or just the Gospel, and I'd wind up talking for half an hour or 45 minutes, 
and only scratch the surface. So in this, in the, in the get the word out segment, you know, when there's something that hits me like, uh, uh, John three sixteen was in today's uh, readings for the ordinary form. Uh, then I think that it's worth it to take a moment and get a word out. And then that, that word today was love, you know, take this one single concept so that it's something that you can hang on to and, and, and carry with you. Uh, also going to do, do a, um, really something that's kind of, uh, related to Catholic kryptonite, although it's sort of the other side of the coin, which is, does the church still teach that? Right. If you've been Catholic for the last 50 years, at no, at some point, somebody said to you, does the church still teach that? You know, you're talking about purgatory or you're talking about contraception or whatever. And maybe you discovered that there are Catholics who are shocked, shocked to discover that the traditional teaching of the church has not, in fact, changed. And, and a related experience is when you bring up uh, some doctrine or practice of the faith, only to be told, well, that went out with Vatican II. Right? Amazing how many people in the church, um, in the church, <laughs> want to justify all sorts of nonsense in the name of the Second Vatican Council. Uh, people who do, who do not have the first idea what the council really taught or what the 16 documents of Vatican II really say because they've never read a single one of them. And so hence the feature, does the church still teach, still teach that, or will the real Vatican II please stand up? Going to be something that, that recurs. Again, not every time, but uh, I, I believe that uh, next week we're going we're to be talking about uh, the church. And the definition of the church traditionally was that the Catholic church is the true church of Jesus Christ, or the true church established by Jesus Christ is the Catholic church. In Latin, that's est. And Lumen Gentium, which is one of the two, two dogmatic constitutions of the Second Vatican Council, yes, a pastoral council, but there were two dogmatic constitutions. And although there was no new dogma proclaimed, that doesn't mean there was no definitive teaching. And in the uh, Constitution on the Church, they give the um, definition of the Church as the true Church of Christ subsists in. The Catholic Church subsistit in, in Latin, almost the same. The true church subsists in the Catholic Church, and that's caused a lot of kerfuffle amongst traditionalists. You can't, you can't ch change the definition of the church. And so the question is, did they change the definition of the church, and what precisely does the true church of Christ subsist in the Catholic Church, the church mean? We're going to talk about that next week. So that's, um, does the church still teach that, or will the real Vatican II please stand up? Uh, also, we know, you know, you know, I've said this so many times in the last 20, 25 years, that the majority of Catholics in this country and around the world don't go to mass, to mass. I mean, not just because of the, we've been dispensed because of the coronavirus, they weren't going in the first place. In the last five decades, millions upon millions of Catholics have abandoned the practice of the faith. And so, uh, and this is not just uh, some faceless multitude, as I've often said. These are people you know. This is your family. These are the people you grew up with, your friends, friends that you went to school with. These are the people that are leaving Jesus Christ and his church. So another one of our recurring themes is going to be really reasons for faith. Now, you may remember that title from uh, an EWTN radio program by that same name with Mr. Tim Staples and then later uh, Mr. Jesse Romero. Romero. And in fact, I was originally hired by Terry Barber at St. Joseph Communications to develop and produce radio programs, and that was one of them. Now, the difference between the old, the old Reasons for Faith uh, program and this new segment that I'm talking about is that it's not 
strictly going to be about apologetics per se, but about those aspects of, of Catholicism that have helped millions of converts to embrace the Catholic faith. Those teachings that, are the, that, that you know, make the penny drop for people, the, the, the teachings that, that cause people to revert, to re-embrace the Catholic faith. You know, and it's important to know that, that the doctrines of the faith, these doctrines of the faith answer the very deepest longings of the human heart, mind, and soul. And these doctrines serve to open people's eyes to the truth of Catholicism and to uh, cause them to embrace this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which we have through uh, prayer and through the sacraments. And to paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, there are 10,000 reasons for faith. There are 10,000 reasons to be Catholic, but pretty much they all boil down to one, because it's true. So reasons for faith, that's going to be another one of our recurring um, features. Let's see. Uh, also, one more, um, which is kind of, an, kind of an, an homage to the old happy hour, which I call treasures of tradition. And we'll look at uh, the origin. We'll look at the reasons behind certain Catholic beliefs and practices to help us, be help us better appreciate some things about our faith, things we might take for granted, or things that we've never really understood or even thought about. Why do we do that? You know, why do you Catholics do this? Well, I don't even know. <laughs> so, and, and so there are a number of things that come immediately to mind, and I'm sure that there's going to be be more. And so we'll talk about those in the coming weeks, months, and months, and uh, if it please God, years. And, you know, the whole point of doing this is, is twofold, to keep it interesting. Uh, number one, because variety is the spice of life, life, but show that confusion can be cleared up and sometimes pretty quickly if you're not trying to complicate things. You know, there's a place for academic Bible study, for example, but that's, but that's precisely amongst academics. You don't need an advanced degree to have a saving faith. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or be an expert theologian to go to heaven. And, some, and sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle of our modern concerns, or, you know, justice, social justice and immigration and the leadership role of women and so forth. When we all know, know that the supreme law is the salvation of souls, that's what matters. And that's no nonsense. I'm Matthew Arnold. Uh, great to have been, have been with you. Looking forward to next week. In the meantime, don't forget, tune in tomorrow for all the great shows here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were opened to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church. So I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.